He's Myron Weber. And he's Jeremy Thomas. And this is Mental Supermodels, the podcast where we explore the theory and practice, the art and science of mental modeling for problem solving and decision making. Mental supermodels are practical techniques that influence your mindset when approaching these complex problems and driving decisions. We're moving from our validation stage that we talked about in the last couple of episodes. We're moving from that uh, validation stage into our measure stage. But actually, I first want to make a distinction here between what validating versus measuring even means. Like, what's the difference between those two? Because they sound pretty similar. But when we're validating, we're making sure that our activities and uh, deliverables are aligned with the value that we're expecting to ultimately produce. And when we're measuring, we're looking at the actual output, which can either be tangible, intangible, um, but there's some outcome that results from our activities and deliverables. And that's what we're looking to measure. And we have two guiding principles during this stage. One is to remember that the measurement of an outcome can often be as simple as just getting feedback. At a minimum, at least get feedback. And if you're thinking, well, feedback isn't really measuring anything, we'll definitely be exploring that a bit today. And the second principle is even though this is the sixth stage in our six-stage framework, don't wait till the end after you've delivered something to start measuring because then it's too late. So those are our two guiding principles to keep in mind. And if we start by considering the boundary around our measure stage, and we look at our boundary formula, which is the purpose, constraints, activities, and outcomes that we've talked about before. These are, this is kind of the formula that gets you through each stage, purpose, constraints, activities, and outcomes. And if we start with the end in mind, which is our outcome, we want some kind of evidence that we succeeded or failed. Now, the purpose of this stage is to put you in a position of knowing whether you've delivered something that achieved or is in the process of achieving expectation. That's the purpose. The constraints are really a bit more psychological because it can be difficult and time-consuming to define measurements because we often find that it's easier to create tasks um, or activities and just start working, assuming that we'll figure it all out as we So we don't really take the time to define these measurements. So I'm going to call that a constraint because it's really a, a mental part of it. The activities that we want to consider are one, defining the target of what success actually looks like. And secondly, taking the time to reflect on the outcome. So those are two key activities that we want to keep in mind. So Myron, with, with all of this and the idea that we're looking for some kind of evidence, what direction would you like to take us? Well, let me start by just setting the context. Hopefully folks here as we're in episode 14 have been following along, but if anyone doesn't understand what we're talking about with the validate stage and the measure stage, uh, this is the six-stage strategy to execution model that we've been talking about for many episodes now, and we're nearing the end. But we have an uh, article at mentalsupermodels.com that, that describes it, and uh, you can go check it out there. So I really like the way you teed this up, talking about uh, getting feedback or looking for some sort of 
evident because that's really what this is about. What we're the measurement can take a lot of different forms, and we are going to explore that. But there are a couple of other things you touched on that I just think are great. There are about five different directions I want to go with this. So I'll try to I'll try to be organized in the way I approach it. Beginning with the end in mind is really important. So the first stage of the strategy execution model is that discover stage where you think about the the uh, objectives, the goals that you want to get to ultimately. And uh, I guess the goals come in the, in the second stage. So the objectives in the discover stage and the goals in the map stage, just to be very clear about that. It's really useful and very important. I don't want to say it's essential because if you forget to do it, it doesn't mean all is lost, but it's very important to think early on about how you want to measure your success. And we talked about this in a very early episode, even with the concept of the discover stage and how do you evaluate an objective right up front. And one of the things that I mentioned was if I'm given an objective by an executive or decision maker, one of the key questions I'll ask is, how will you know if I succeeded at delivering this? That right there gives you a target, something to measure against. And all the way through every part of the strategy pillar, discover stage, the map stage, the prioritize stage, it's really important to think about how you're going to measure as you go through each of those. So that's where I would start with that. And Jeremy, can I tell you a story? Oh yeah, please. All right. So way back in the, uh, in the 1990s, I was a partner in a systems integration company. And uh, as you know, I, I've spent the last couple decades of my career largely focused on business intelligence and doing a lot of data warehousing and analytics. But at the t- that time back in the, uh, in the 90s, I, that's not what I was doing. I was doing software development and leading our team in building custom ERP modules. And what I noticed was happening is that we were very focused in the requirements phase of these projects on documenting the transactional side of things. How do we capture these transactions? What should the screens look like? What does the physical process look like? And then we would get to the end and people would say, okay, now what reports do you need? And suddenly we'd find that the data wasn't structured to deliver the reports that we needed. So I developed a process that I called outputs analysis, and I've been using and refining that. And that's really what led me to then get into business intelligence and data warehousing that became such a major part of my career. It all started right there of realizing that right up front, we needed to be thinking about what decisions were going to be made by whom and what information they would need in order to support those decisions and how that information would need to be delivered. And I think there's a lot of parallel between that and what we're talking about in this validate stage that even right up front in the project, as you're kicking things off, you need to be looking ahead to what decisions will we need to make in in two facets in terms of the outcomes of the project, but also in the way that we evaluate the project. So the validation stage is distinct from measuring, but they go hand in hand because the measurements support the validation and give you really that guidance you need as you go through the project. That's how I see it. But I want to make sure that you agree that I'm understanding the the measure stage correctly. Yeah. You know, we we always want to start with the end in mind. So I think you touched on that when you're talking about uh, reports, 
you, you, you talked about how you, you develop, you put the data together and then thought about reports and then you put reports together and then think about what decisions need to be made. So, so firstly, thinking about the, starting with the end in mind is one part of it, but also going back to defining what success looks like. So I think in, in your scenario, the reports are one level of success. That's how you know that you've structured the data right. And then the decisions that want, that you want to, to make with the reports, if you're able to make those decisions, that shows that the reports were developed right. So I like your example. I think it actually gives a couple of uh, scenarios where uh, we're actually demonstrating uh, what success looks like once we're done. And, you know, and just to kind of go back to the, the validation stage versus the measuring stage validation, because I, again, I just want to go through the distinction of that, because when we're validating, we really are making sure that the activities and the, the deliverables that we're working on and putting together are um, meeting the expectation or matched with the business case or the use case that we produced in the map stage. So we want to make sure that what we're doing, these activities are on the right path to deliver on those objectives. Measuring is the actual output. Once we've completed these deliverables and completed these activities, the output that's produced, we want to make sure that we can measure that, that there's some sort of evidence that's produced. And in, in your examples, the reports are one output that's measured, and then the decisions that can be made are another output that's measured. So I think it's a good scenario that helps tie a, a few things together. Yeah, yeah, thanks. That is helpful. So then as we think about how to measure those outcomes, there are a couple additional things we could dig into. One of the things as I went through that journey of working in business intelligence and uh, working with with clients and companies on that, one of the one of the terms that came up a lot was metrics. People wanted to be able to manage with metrics and be metrics driven and that sort of uh, terminology. And what I discovered over time was that a lot of people had a very uh, incomplete definition of a metric. Any number that they saw could be a metric. And often, and this is a, a thing that I, that I frequently see. People who reach executive levels of leadership in an organization, they have enough experience and savvy that they can look at a number and, and it's meaningful to them. And they think that other people in their organization have that same ability. And so they, they leave it implicit as to what's the meaning of this number. But if you really want to have something be a metric that you can manage by, then you have to think about how to define that. And so I came up with a definition of a metric. If you're talking about quantitative measurement and using numbers to evaluate outcomes, this is my definition of a metric. A metric is a number with a clear definition as of a point in time compared to a target with a clear indicator of status assigned to someone for accountability. And if you don't have all of those, then it's not really a metric. It's just a number. What do you think? I think it's that's good and specific, and once defined, uh, doesn't leave room for interpretation because I think it's a nice specific definition. I want to kind of leave that, maybe not dwell too much on that because it, it is very specific. And if all of those elements are there, 
then you can use that metric. But let's talk about sort of then the mix of metrics that's important as you start measuring things, because that's another problem. Some of the metrics that are the easiest to get at from a quantitative standpoint are dollars. They come out of our accounting system and they're audited and you've got bean counters counting all those beans. And so you know what the dollars are. And that's great. Uh, but it, it also raises the, the question of means versus ends, right? So your goal is profit. But if the only number you ever look at is the profit, then you're no, ignoring all of the factors that lead to being able to make a profit. So a distinction between financial and non-financial metrics, but also between ends and means to an end as, as the kinds of things that you're measuring and looking at. Another distinction I would make is between leading and lagging indicators. It's a lot easier to look at lagging indicators because it's looking in the rearview mirror. It's stuff that's already happened. You can look at it and, and see what happened. But in terms of coming up with indicators that help you anticipate what's going to happen in the future, that's more difficult. And therefore, people often just don't do it. Yeah, I like the the direction you're going with distinguishing. You're talking a lot about qua, uh, quantitative metrics, which is, can be difficult, but sometimes I think it's easier for people to understand what it means. A qualitative metric, a KPI, they can, it's easier to understand, but hard to define, I think in, in some cases, but I, I feel that that's, that's where you were going with it. You were defining kind of these quali uh, quantitative characteristics of metrics. Yeah. And I, I don't think we just want to stick to the quantitative. We certainly need to to get into other aspects of it, but I totally agree. I'm starting there because it is easier to understand. And it is often where folks start when we talk about measuring things in the business, people want to look at the numbers. That's just the natural response. And Hey, you know, if you measure things in the real world, you grab the tape measure, walk outside and, and uh, you know, measure the sidewalk. Well, you're measuring, you're using numbers to do that, but it doesn't, mean that that's the only thing we can measure, but I think it's a good place to start and frames up some of the other things because you're exactly right. The next distinction that I was going to go to is the one that you just, just brought up, which is the distinction between quantitative measures, quantitative metrics, and qualitative metrics, which becomes much more difficult in many cases because it's less specific and less tangible to folks. And so that can be a challenge, but I, I think it's a really important part of the measure stage. Yeah. And that's really what we're looking to solve here, I think. So I'm, I'm glad that you took us this direction to, to look at the qualitative side, because I think that that is really the area that we are looking to solve for. We're not really looking to help define metrics and KPIs and the quantitative side. We're looking to apply some of these mental model techniques to the qualitative side. Uh, because I think that that's where it can be a little more fuzzy to define. I don't know, Jeremy. I think you're, um, I think you're on dangerous grounds. Have you not heard the maxim that you can't manage what you can't measure? I've heard that I can't manage what I can't measure. People say that the, uh, the great titan of business uh, expertise, W. Edwards Deming, has said you can't manage what you can't measure. Right. And... Yeah, I went and looked that up, and it's actually uh, a gross misattribution. Um, he said exactly the opposite. So he did say those words, 
if you just pull them out of the middle of the sentence. But what he actually said is uh, the idea that you can't manage what you can't measure is a myth, a dangerous myth. So we, we're on good footing uh, and huh. Deming is behind us as we move beyond the idea of only managing what we can measure and thinking about how do we manage the things that we can't measure. And I want to start with one idea. I know you've got ideas on this, but let me start with one because it it takes us back to just our, our previous episode where we talked about risk and the Bayesian method of managing risk. And we can apply that same concept to managing things that we can't measure. And it can be applied in a very simple way. It can be somewhat subjective or there may be objective criteria we can look at, but we can simply look and say, is this getting better or is this getting worse? Or is it staying the same or do we not know? Really, it can fall into one of those four buckets. Anything that we're trying to evaluate can be put into one of those four buckets. It's getting better, it's getting worse, it's staying the same, or we don't know. And that last category of we don't know is important because if you only give the first three, if someone doesn't know, they'll say it's staying the same. So you got to make I don't know an option. So that's one really basic technique for helping to manage things that you cannot quantitatively measure. And I think that that ties back to kind of where you started. One of the things you mentioned of getting feedback, right? Feedback can be a measurement if we get feedback in a way that lets us evaluate, such as, is this getting better? Is this getting worse? Is it staying the same? Or I don't know. Or even other ways of getting feedback. Did this meet your expectations? Did this exceed your expectations? Or did it fall short of your expectation? So there are there are basic ways of getting feedback that help us use that for making decisions. Of course, getting extended freeform feedback and having someone explain it beyond that is also, of course, very useful. We don't want them to just give us that answer, better or worse, the same, and stop. We want to know why, but we want to make it clear. Is it Did it meet your expectations? Did it fall short? Or did it exceed your expectations? Those kinds of things. So I, I don't know exactly what you had in mind when you mentioned feedback, but that's where I went in my head and thought of how can we use feedback as an actual way of measuring, not just an informal conversation around the water cooler. It's a good point. And when I was thinking earlier about feedback being a form of measurement, it's because I, I didn't want to get caught up with exact measurements. And that's on the quantitative side. You can get caught up trying to define things exactly right. What's the exact output that we need so that I can measure the success of it? So, you know, we want to make things practical and realistic. And in the real world, we don't always have the luxury of something being specifically defined that we so that we can measure it immediately. Sometimes we might deliver something knowing that it could be a year before we know for sure if it worked. And this idea of using just simple feedback as a form of measurement, I think lends itself to accepting estimations as a form of measurement. So I think feedback can be considered a form of estimation. Is it approximately right? And you were saying, you know, is it on track? Is it in the right direction? Your, your definition of the buckets was a little more clear than that, but it's basically saying, am I meeting expectations or not meeting expectations, which is a little bit fuzzy logic there, but that's the point is that any kind of feedback 
is at least some form of measurement. And the reason that we bring it up is, is that it's, it's often missed or it's skipped or people don't take the time to even provide the feedback or they'll just say, oh, this is great. Thanks. But that's not, that's not great feedback that really, I think, falls into what we're calling a form of measurement. If we provide something, you can come back and say, uh, this meets my expectations about 60% of what I was looking for. Uh, you know, that's an estimation. It's a ballpark, but it at least sets the tone, sets the stage for, did I hit the target? Was I close to the target? Should I revise or adjust and try again? Or is it good enough as is? But we're still kind of talking about these levels of feedback. And there can be multiple levels, uh, but these levels of feedback can be used for measurements to at least provide uh, guidance and direction for the next time. I want to get very specific about this as a critical success factor and pull together what we've talked about up to this point and, and make it very pointed because from two different perspectives, this can really make or break success. So perspective number one, if the listener is in a position of saying, well, I can't manage what I can't measure. I don't know how to measure things. It's a skill that you have to develop. So we're giving some practical techniques, some, some mini models, like the idea of using the, this Bayesian type technique to say, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? Or I don't know. Did I exceed your expectations, fall short of your expectations or meet your expectations? Those kinds of things are techniques that you need to start using because the inability to learn how to manage and measure qualitative things is going to hold you back in your professional development. And at the other side, from the other perspective, if you're that executive or you're that experienced leader and implicitly in your head, you know, these things and you don't communicate to the people under you, why these numbers matter or why these qualitative measurements matter, how you're doing it, then people are not going to understand how you're evaluating their performance. And uh, I've been on a roll, Jeremy, the last several episodes using sports metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just going to keep going with that. And you think about, you think about great coaches in, in any sport. One of the thing that, things that coaches have to be able to do is qualitatively evaluate their players. Yes, I know sports has become very quantitative and statistical, but come on, we all know that great coaches evaluate on a lot of things that are not just quantitative. And there's a, a huge qualitative part to leadership, but that has to also then be communicated to the people you're leading. So they understand how you're evaluating them and what you're expecting of them, even on these, these non-numeric, non-quantitative qualitative measurements. One word that comes to mind when you talk about that is the word judgment. You know, how do you evaluate someone on their judgment? You know, in, in baseball, there's not a, a metric that says the player threw the ball to the right base at the right time, but there's a judgment. Should he go home with it? Should he go to first with it? You got runners running in, to multiple bases. He has to make a judgment on how many outs are there. What's the score? There's other factors in mind, but there's no metric to say he made the right judgment call, the right decision in that case. So I think that may be speaking to what you're talking about. Then there's a, one more thing that I want to caution about at the, at the outset, when I talked about my definition of a metric, you know, one of the things I said is important about a metric is an indicator of status. And 
uh, earlier when I first developed that definition, I talked about it as an indicator of success or failure. And I've, I've replaced that language over time for a very good reason that's a common theme in our episodes, which is successful organizations have to be able to experiment. They have to pose hypotheses and test them. And that means that not every experiment you run is going to give a positive result. But I really think it's important to avoid using the term failure to describe those experiments. It's a success to learn that something didn't work. And uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but I know Thomas Edison said something like that. So uh, it, you've got to have that culture of allowing people to experiment. You've got to control them so they can be done safely. Don't give them the plutonium and go say, see if you can build a bomb, right? You, you, you do safe experiments, but you've got to be able to let people experiment. And so that's why I replaced the indicator of status uh, instead of indicator of success or failure. I think that's a really good point, actually, because I think I, I referred to success and failure in, in my opening there, but I should probably change it to, to refer more to status because success and failure might be more geared towards quantitative results, whereas what we're really looking to solve, as we talked about, is the qualitative side, and uh, measuring the status might be a more qualitative way to look at it. Yeah. And especially if we've done what we talked about at the outset, which is thinking about those ways to measure it early in the process, as you're going through the discover stage and the map stage and the prioritize stage, thinking ahead about what you want to measure and how you want to measure it and what you're going to do with those measurements, uh, depending on what you find. That allows you to get ahead of the concept of, of just success or failure and be experimenting all along the way and making those course corrections as needed. And so I think the, that the measure part of this, I'm, I know I'm defining a little more broadly than you were, but I think the same techniques that are used to evaluate the outcome of an overall project or program are also used throughout the execution of the project or program. So it's an essential skill being able to evaluate both quantitative and qualitative things and not just measure them, but know what you're going to do with those measurements and be able to use them to make better decisions. And I just want to speak to the, the constraints that we had talked about. You know, we're talking about evidence ultimately is the outcome that we're looking for. And there, there are two parts of this measure stage that I want to, to mention. We've talked about it, but I just kind of want to restate these two things because I do think of them as two different components to this measure stage. One is to, is to use this stage as a reminder during the discovery stage when you're goal setting that you'll need to measure something. So in the discover stage, in order to make sure that you are defining things as specifically as possible, consider this lateral connection to the measure stage, thinking ahead that at some point, I'm going to have to measure this. So using the measure stage during the discover stage as a reminder will help you set more specific goals during that stage. And then the second part is to use the measure stage as a reflection. You know, one of the, one of the constraints I mentioned was not taking the time to, to know if the outcome actually met its intention. So taking that reflection time and 
and I know a lot of people talk about it. We've talked about it before, Myron, about postmortems and people talk about do them, but we really don't do them because by the time you get to the end of delivering something, you just have to pick up the next thing and start going. So you don't really take the time to reflect, but it's important here to take at least a minimal amount of time to reflect on what the outcome was because it can help guide your thinking for the next time. And something that comes to mind is like uh, stock traders. When you're trading stocks, uh, you know, traders often don't take the time to reflect on their outcomes because when their numbers go up, they think they're a genius. When they go down, they just forget about them. But good traders take the time to understand why both of those outcomes, the wins and the losses, why they happened so that they can make adjustments for the next time. And I just want wanted to reiterate that point because, you know, the first part is making sure that we're defining things that can be measured, whether it's tangible, intangible, whether it's success or failure or a status or it's quantitative or qualitative. Part one of this is to define something that we can measure as evidence. But part two is taking the time to reflect on this outcome so that we can learn from it and make adjustments. I think those are the two key parts to this measure stage. Yeah, you know, that's a really, really good point. And it, it's actually a, a very important point. And I want to I wanna strengthen it a little bit. People are not machines, right? So uh, something that I observed from the field of political science, that a lot of the, the study of political science that grew up during the, the progressive era of the, the late 19th to early 20th century, uh, and the concepts of scientific management went right along with that. And there was a tendency to view human systems based on structures and functions. And that is a great way to view a lot of things. You can gain a lot of understanding by looking at structures and functions. But when it comes to human systems, it's an overly mechanical view of things. You have to look at structures and functions and psychology because human systems ba are based on the structures, the functions, and the psychology of the people who are in the systems. So as we use measurements and metrics to evaluate outcomes, we still want to make sure that we're looking at not just a mechanical system, but of actually the people and the psychology. And I love the example you brought up about the stock trader, because uh, you know any, any disciplined, experienced trader is going to know that a losing trade made for the right decision is more of a success than a winning trade made for the wrong decision. And it's counterintuitive. And if you only look at the outcome, you're missing that point. That's a really good point. The same goes for poker as well. There are a lot of disciplines where, where that's important. And I like that you brought up the, the culture and the people aspect of this, because I think it is important, even if you're not the person who's measuring but your output is being measured, which is often the case for workers who are you know, producing something for you know, a, a tier of people above them, whether you're producing something for executives. But it's important for people to see how their work is being measured. So you said they're not really machines and they shouldn't be treated as machines. And there should be this culture of providing feedback so that the people that are producing deliverables um, can actually see how their work's being measured. And the reason for that is it, one, allows them to feel better and more motivated, but they can actually make adjustment as well. I think oftentimes things are delivered, and I, I said it earlier in the program here, that 
someone will take it and say, thanks, I appreciate it. Or thanks, you know, I, I, this is great. But I actually don't know for sure if it's what they wanted. And maybe they're just being nice and saying, thanks for your effort. But I don't always just want to be thanked for my effort. I want to be thanked for delivering something of value that met their expectation. So that feedback saying, I appreciate the effort. This is about 60% of what I wanted. At least allows me to make adjustments for the next time or redo it for this time. But that's where the, the human, the personal, the psychology aspect of this comes into play. I think that's a great way to wrap up. So I'll let you close things out. But before you do, I just want to say, Jeremy, thank you for your effort and for delivering <laughs> something of value that meets my expectations. <laughs> well, your expectations for me are always low and I appreciate that. So it makes it easy <laughs> for me. Uh, no, but uh, thanks. It was a great conversation. Thanks everyone for listening. And I think this is our episode 14. That's right. Episode 14. So you can find us at mentalsupermodels.com. And this episode will be at mentalsupermodels.com slash 14. And you can connect with Myron and myself our links to our LinkedIn profiles are there and we would love to hear feedback. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. Thanks, Myron. We'll see you next time.